0: So, I'm Dana, and I have the privilege of reading scripture to you guys today. So, our scripture reading today is from John 12 and Ephesians 3. Let us stand for the reading of God's Word. John 12, 12 through 19. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him. They began to shout, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him, because they had heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Ephesians 3, 3, 8-12, 20-21 The apostle Paul wrote, To me, the very least of all God's people, this grace was given, to preach to the nations the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known throughout the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Thank you, Dana. I think you've been reading scripture here about as long as I've been here. I always hear God's voice through, through Dana reading to us. Well, it is Palm Sunday. Uh, as we've been hearing all morning, it's the beginning of what the church throughout the world calls Holy Week or, or Passion Week. It, it's the day, as, as we've been seeing, that Jesus entered into Jerusalem, and it was just as all of the Old Testament prophets had said, he came in humility on a donkey, but at the same time he came in great majesty as people grabbed these palm branches which signified that they thought he might be the king as they they waved them to him. And uh, it was exactly what the prophets had said. And I think that after maybe three, one, three, did I lose? Oh, There we go again. See, these are these poignant pauses so that you will actually zoom in and listen. I think that after three years of seeing Jesus do these incredible miracles and teach as no one else had taught, many of the people in Jerusalem that day thought, well, maybe. Maybe he's the one our prophets had foretold who's going to come and rescue us. In fact, that's what they meant when they they cried out, Hosanna. Uh, The word really meant, uh, save us now. And what they wanted, they were under the yoke of one political government, under the Roman government, they, they wanted rescue, they wanted to be great again. They remembered back to the great days of Solomon and David, maybe he will make us great like we once were before. And so they yelled out, blessed is the king of Israel, in John chapter 12, verse 19. But as we know, their whole vision of Jesus, the way they saw him was too small. They they thought he had only come for them, for one group of people, and we shouldn't be too critical of them. I'm going through so many elections uh, and campaigns throughout my life for for presidents, and every year that I can remember, there's been at least one or two of the politicians who have said the same thing that they were saying. We can rescue you. We, We can make us great again and refer only to our one little group of people. But Jesus had come to do something much bigger than that more than just to rescue uh, one group of people from their problems from their situations now it was a triumphal entry Uh, that's what we call it a triumphal entry and I'll tell you it was a triumphal entry far beyond anything that anyone could have imagined it wasn't just the triumph of one nation over another nation I'll tell you this was going to be a triumph over the real problems of our world over the sin that holds people throughout the world in its grip. I'm telling you, we come today and we should be waving those palm branches because if Jesus had just come for one nation, the people of that nation could not have been rescued eternally. If Jesus had just come for one nation, we wouldn't be meeting here today and having this worship service. Jesus came to make all things new. And, and, and Paul, a Jewish man, recognized that. So that in Romans chapter 8, he said all of creation longs for the creator to come back again and to make all things new. All is groaning until it happens. So that's where that song comes from, Duane. The rocks would cry out if we don't cry out because all of the universe wants God to recreate the world in such a way that it will reveal his glory. The problem was on that first Palm Sunday, They didn't see Jesus as he really was. They only saw him the way they wanted him to be. They didn't see him for what he really came to do. They they only saw him for what they wanted him to do for them. But he came to do something so much bigger and so today. The question of Palm Sunday is this. How do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus? Now, I grew up since my dad became a believer when I was five or six years old, I grew up in a church and some of you who are as old as I am or even older, you remember in the church that we had flannel graph do any of you remember the old flannel graph so children would be sitting there and I remember the Jesus that they always put up on the flannel graph board with the light colored hair and the blue eyes looked like a Scandinavian or maybe like a a German Um, do you remember last Christmas, I'm not sure that I showed this to you, there's a scientist in Great Britain named Richard Neve who used forensic facial reconstruction science to try to show what Jesus probably really uh, looked like. Uh, he, he said, now this shouldn't be taken as a portrait of or an official picture of Jesus, but this is surely what a man who lived where Jesus lived and grew up among the people that he grew up among would have looked something like. Let me show you the picture in case you've forgotten it. Uh, this is the way that, that he portrays perhaps that Jesus looked. Uh, many churchgoers in the United States were offended by what Dr. Neve did because he looked so rough, right? He looked so rugged. He, he looked so un-Scandinavian. <laughs> he, he, looked so, he looked so Jewish some, somehow. <laughs> uh, now, I, you know, before I came here to Lake, I traveled around and went to about 400 churches. There's another picture of Jesus that I saw in so many churches in so many places. It's by Albrecht Dürer. It was done back in 1500. And it's not offensive to us. Let me show you his picture that he did of Jesus there. Perhaps you've seen that? Ah, you say, that looks more like the Jesus. I'm not offended by that, many of us might think. But you should be offended by that. See, I yelled so that you would listen to me there. Do you know that Dürer's picture was a (laughs) self-portrait? He painted himself as Jesus. He, He wanted to paint himself in that role as being an artist, the supreme creator of new things. With this inscription on it, I, Albrecht Dürer of Nuremberg, portrayed myself in everlasting colors, aged 28. Listen to me. I think one of the clearest things we have to take home every Palm Sunday is that we have something to celebrate. There was a triumphal entry, but we've got to see Jesus not the way we want him to be, but as he is, as he has made himself known. So again, I ask you this question, how do you see Jesus? I keep thinking that if people on the first Palm Sunday were so mistaken about why Jesus had come and about what his mission would be, and if throughout history, the way we even think about him physically has been so out of, out of kilter and out of sync, then how can we have any certainty about what Jesus was really like? Well, I'll tell you the, the answer that uh, brothers and sisters all over the world have always said is that the way we come to know Jesus is through this divinely inspired record that is found in this, his word, and especially in these first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that when you and I take the time to actually read about Jesus and hear how he taught, see what he did. See how he dealt with people like us. Find out what his priorities were. Uh, You begin to find out what he was really like. And one of the basic messages of the Bible is this. When you and I begin to see Jesus and understand what he is like, we see what the maker of the universe is like. We see God in flesh. Do you remember what Jesus was called? Emmanuel, God with us. And one of the first eyewitnesses, uh, the Apostle John. I, I love John 1:14, <laughs> because he just, almost like a ch- with a childlike wonder, uh, John, late in his life, would say, we saw him, we beheld the glory The glory of the one and only Son of God, full of grace and truth. He dwelt among us. We saw him. Don't don't you feel like that? It's almost like a child rejoicing in seeing the one that that child most wanted to see. And, And John then would go and say, no one has really seen God, the Father, at any time, except God, the one and only. God, the one and only Son. He who is closest to the Father, has made him known." And, and Jesus affirmed that himself. Later in the Gospel of John, he says, "'If you have really seen me, you have seen the Father.'" So I'll tell you, if you've come to church on this Palm Sunday and you really want to know what God is like, then you've got to find it out by reading and seeing what Jesus is like. Because when you see him and you know him and you trust him, you see and know and trust God himself you believe in God J- Jesus would say believe in me I have shown you the Father now the Apostle Paul in the text the second text that Dana read for us confirmed that and in a verse that I've shown us so often in my eight and a half years here uh, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 21 this, this is what Paul wrote to God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Do you remember if you keep that up there for a while, that that verse? That word glory is a word that is used, even though it seems so religious to us, it it really is simply talking about all the qualities and characteristics of a person. Uh, The glory of a person are our very best traits. Um, uh, the, The NCAA basketball tournament is on. Uh, having been in a university, I, I recognize that sometimes the best qualities of, of our basketball players are seen on the basketball court, and not always in the classroom, you see. Teachers know that's true. Sometimes, maybe the Yale group was, was like that, I'm not, I'm not sure. But the greatest qualities of a person are often seen in a certain place. And what Paul was trying to declare with us, uh, to us is this, if you really want to know God, if you want to really see his glory, what he is like, to God be glory in Christ Jesus. When you look at Jesus, you see what he's like. But, but do you notice from that verse, if we still, if you can go back to that verse again, to him be, do you see that the glory of God is seen not only in Christ Jesus, but in some other place? Anyone wanna sort of yell out in church for once in, in your life? Where else, where else is the glory of God supposed to be seen? In the church. Well, not many of you have courage to tell me. <laughs> Almost shockingly. I mean, anybody who's been to church our whole lives, the thought that among us, uh, the church of Jesus Christ, we're a part of it right here in Pasadena. The glory of God is supposed to be seen as people look at us. One of the main themes of the New Testament, especially books like uh, Colossians and Ephesians, is that God is going to make himself known to this world. God makes it known what he is like, his glory known. But one of the main ways he does it was first by sending his son, Jesus, but also by planting local communities right in neighborhoods, churches just like this one, linked together, we're linked together by our faith in Jesus. We are then given the Holy Spirit who begins to do a work in us. And what should happen is as people begin watching us, they should say, oh, what is happening there, that's what God is like. And that's why as we come to this last message in our guiding statement that we have taken as as, uh, here at the church, and it's in our worship folder. If if you have one, I hope you'll take that out. You'll see all the way down on the right-hand corner you'll see that fourth value, which really summarizes everything else we have written in this entire guiding statement, and that we say that we long to be a God-glorifying community. If I've been speaking at all clearly here today, you see that what we're saying is we are praying that right here in the San Gabriel Valley where people don't know God, that if they come and visit us that they will see something happening here that points them to what God is like and we're saying that when you get to work alongside of someone or go to school next to someone or live in your community next to someone they should be able to watch what is beginning to happen in your life and they say God must be real that that's what he does now I'll tell you we, we have to humbly confess something don't we that we're still uh, in the process of becoming a fully God-glorifying group of people. Any amens here? We're, we're not there yet. Okay, some of you weren't here nine years ago. Pastor Denny Bolesi used to always say, Lake Avenue Church people, you are a piece of work. Do any of you remember that? <laughs> well, amen, he was absolutely right. We're not yet all that God would have us to be, but we are God's piece of work. That means when people see us now, we're not quite all that he would, but if they watch us, they should see what God is doing in and among us, his willingness always to forgive, always to start again, and to remake what we are into the image of his son. Now I'll tell you, throughout the entire year here in 2016, we've been talking about that here at Lake Avenue Church. Uh, all that it means to be a God glorifying community to this neighborhood and to this world so I just want to if you keep that and if you don't have one look on your neighbor that's okay this morning and if you live if you're sitting too far from a neighbor get over closer a little bit because I want to walk you through this how are you and I as imperfect as we are going to reveal the glory of God to our neighborhood and to our world and I put down three things number one You and I have to make a commitment to grow in our own walk with Christ. It's what we call discipleship. In our our guiding statement, you'll see in the vision part, it says our longing as a church is that each one, each one, that includes you, will become complete in Christ. That means if you come and say, I'm not yet all I should be, we just say, join us because we're all on this journey that with the power of God together as God's people praying for one another, walking with one another, uh, we are going to all become complete in Christ. It is the goal of what we call discipleship, that each one of our lives will increasingly reflect the ways of Jesus that we read in those four Gospels, the priorities of Jesus. Now, the thing that keeps us from doing this, all of us know, is this little world called Sin. No amens there. Uh, that, that's, we, it's, it's still a part of our lives. It, it still has a bit of a grip on us. But, but, but God's Word knows that. And I want you to see how Paul puts this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of what? Glory. There it is. Are you beginning to see it? There's the way God made us in His image. We fall short of the glory of God. Then there's no hope for us, is there? And, and Paul says, no, there is hope, but now through faith we can be made right, justified. It is a gift of God's grace. We don't earn it. It comes through the redemption, setting free, buying back that comes through Christ Jesus. So that what happens when you believe in Jesus, you confess your sins and say, I, I need cleansing. I want to believe in Jesus as Savior. He cleanses you, washes you clean. Hallelujah, right? And he gives to you his Holy Spirit, begins to work in you, and he puts us into a local church like this, where together we pursue, under the power of the Spirit, becoming more and more like Christ. And, and what we put in our, um, in our guiding statement is that for you to have that happen in your life, we want you to connect to the life of our church in at least three ways. Uh, we want you to worship with us each week, in one of our main worship services. Uh, Two, we we want you to, and and you're here, so I'm really glad. Uh, Number two, we want you to find a grace-filled community, a group of people that won't let you go, a place where you can learn and find support and pray, and you can also be involved in other people's lives. So we have it in worship, community, and in service. We become stronger in our own spiritual lives, when we together with God's people serve and as that happens and there are other aspects to it as well but those are the essential connections our prayer is we'll glorify God as we become more like Christ what else? if you look through that another way to glorify God is that we will be one even though we are many we are called as a local church here in the San Gabriel Valley to embody Uh, the breadth that we find in the Godhead itself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Beautifully, God has always existed, not not in isolation, but always in relationship. The Christian God uh, that we find revealed in the Bible always has existed in a loving relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet one. It's mind-boggling, isn't it? But I'll tell you, that's what the church is supposed to be. Uh, We are to be as diverse as the people that God has made who bear his image. And yet, as we come together, we keep all of that breadth of diversity and at the same time, a oneness that comes in Christ. Listen to how Jesus put this, in case you think I'm just making this up. John 17, verses 22 to 23. Father, he prayed. Now, he was praying this just before he went to the cross. He said, I'm going to be praying for those who will believe in me. I'm not just going to pray for my 12 disciples. Uh, Who are those who will believe in him? Okay, this is us. Jesus praying for us. I pray for those who will believe in me. And what does he say? That they will be one, Father. Uh, Father, give them the glory which you have given me. I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, and you and me. I want them to show the world what, what we are like, Father. Many but one. So one of the most mind-boggling truths about Scripture is that it's not only God who is many but one, but he says, my people will continue to be as diverse as the people I have created, and yet always find a oneness in Christ. And when that happens, when we show that oneness across generational breaks, across uh, ethnicity breaks, then we declare the glory of God. And in one of our values, we call that kingdom community. So one of the ways we declare the glory of God is through our own unity. One of the things that divides and harms the witness of God's people is when we can't get along with one another. And so Jesus would say, if you're not getting along with a brother or sister, just leave what you're doing, go and make that thing right. Because when we live in unity, We declare the glory of God to the neighborhood that he's put us in. How else do we declare the glory of God? A third way. We declare it when we love the world as God loves the world. God is love, and yet that love is always shown tangibly. It came especially when Jesus sent his son. And we have two values to show that this is how we glorify God in that way. Number one, we want to be an evangelistic community. By that, we simply mean we want to point people to Jesus so that they will turn from their sin, find cleansing, and follow Jesus as their Savior and Lord. If we we love people's eternal souls, we've got to tell them about Jesus and call people to trust in him. Amen? We want this to be a place where Jesus is always proclaimed to be the Savior and Lord and people are called to respond by faith. But the other side is there as well. The effects of sin have just devastated the people in our neighborhood. We see it all around us. And so we also want to be a reconciling community. We want to go into the neighborhood where there is so much brokenness and distress, kids who can't have any support in school, people who don't exactly know where they're going to find a place of forgiveness and belonging and community, people who say there's nobody who cares and say, that's not true. God cares for you and we as his people do as well. When we in very tangible ways show the love of Jesus, we declare what God is like to this world. We are to declare the glory of God to this neighborhood. So today we complete uh, our uh, guiding statements by saying that we long to have our individual lives and Lake Avenue Church as a whole declare the glory of God to this community and to this world. Here's how we put it. Guided by God's word and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, we seek to be a prayerful community that makes the glory of God known both through our words and our lives. I'll tell you, I don't know if if you know this, but I pray for us that this neighborhood will be watching us and and they will see God is at work in and through those people. And in that way, I think they'll say, God is there, and maybe there's hope for me, and that others might find what you and I have found, the saving, healing, life-transforming reality of God that is made available to every human being through faith in Jesus. There is no human being that you're going to meet who is beyond the reach of the grace of God given in Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'll just tell you, we need to be that kind of community declaring God's glory until God's glory is seen in everything that is, until, until the kingdom of justice and peace reigns, until all things are made new. Because when we follow Jesus, we truly become a part of something bigger. Indeed, the scope of this is made known in a place like Psalm 96, verse 3. May I show it to you? Declare his glory among the nations. That means we've got to make known his marvelous ways and deeds among all peoples. Do you see what God is calling us to do there as his people? We're to declare God's glory, as Jesus would put it in Acts 1-8, to our own Jerusalem, our own San Gabriel Valley. But you and I have the opportunity to carry it even beyond to the very ends of the earth. And if you read through the rest of the book of Acts, you'll see how it happens. It, it happens because to God be the glory in the church. And as other churches are planted in other parts of the world, who share these same values of declaring God's glory, calling people to faith in Jesus, showing the love of Jesus to people in distress, then what happens is that other people will come to know him and become a part of churches like that. And that's why I've chosen to end this entire series by asking my brother, friend, and colleague, Pastor Scott White, our Lake Avenue Church pastor of Global Outreach, uh, to come and bring this series to its proper conclusion. Uh, Scott, come up and just point us to some of the ways that God is now leading us to bring glory to him uh, among the nations.
2: So how do we embrace this third essential commitment of serving God's mission through the expression of this core value our pastor just reminded us of, of being a God-glorifying community? Well, we begin with the pastor's teaching this morning on God's glory. So this week, I, w- I was looking at the word glory. According to one source, it's mentioned in Scripture 420 times. This appears to be on God's heart, pretty, pretty importantly. Therefore, probably should concern us as well. As Pastor said, this is about the whole being. Some of the, some of the adjectives that go along with this, embedded in this word, are substance, weightiness, brilliance, radiance. These are all attached to glory. But as we've heard... This glory is not merely an adjective, right? It's also a verb. It's, it's an action. As God's people, we are called to actively extend God's glory by making his glory known throughout the earth. Though we focus mostly on the New Testament this morning, this idea of extending God's glory is not a new one. In fact, its roots are ancient. Let's go back to Abraham. And therefore, in a sense, we go back to us. Because through faith we are his spiritual descendants. Abraham was told that he would receive a blessing so as to be a blessing to all the peoples. Genesis twelve three. Though you, through you, Abraham and your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. We see that God is glorified through the extending of His influence and presence through the influence and presence of His people. There are so many examples of this throughout the Older Testament. As Pastor just showed us in Psalm 96, we read that all nations that you have made, Lord, shall come and worship before you. They shall glorify your name. Making God's glory known is God's business. And friends, as followers of Jesus, we are in the family business Exodus 9, 13 and 16, that, that, that famous scene in Pharaoh's courtroom, Moses declares that God is acting for his glory, bringing seven specific plagues, plagues directed to seven specific pagan gods of the Egyptians, says this, I am sending all of my plagues on you and your servants, your people and your people, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord in the earth in order to proclaim or glorify my name throughout the earth, we see that God is glorified through the extending of his influence and presence through the influence and presence of his people. Do you remember when Daniel was in the lion's den or Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? Maybe it was on a graph Maybe it was on an animated video like this morning. Do you remember the story? It's a miraculous escape from execution. Do you, do you remember what happens after that? Nebuchadnezzar, this great dictator, military king, this pagan of pagans, at each of the ends of the stories says, this God is great. Nebuchadnezzar gives glory to God because of how God has acted. We see that God is glorified through the extending of his influence and presence through the influence and presence of his people. When David built the temple, he did it to, quote, establish God's name in Jerusalem. At the dedication, his son Solomon in 1 Kings 8 declared the temple to be a place for God to be glorified by all the peoples, declaring this will be a house of prayer for the nations, the peoples. And he prayed this specifically, concerning the outsider, when they come and pray toward your house, Lord, do accordingly of all that they ask of you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know or glorify your name. God is glorified through the extending of his influence and presence through the influence and presence of his people. And those too often little red minor prophets that are kind of stacked up in the back of the Old Testament like some sort of biblical sig alerts taking place, they continue this glory-focused drumbeat. Listen to this. Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Zephaniah 3.10. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, my dispersed ones, will bring my offerings for my glory. Malachi 1.11. From the rising of the sun even to the setting, my name will be glorified among the nations. Haggai, I will shake the nations, and the desire of the nations will come. I will fill this house with glory. God is glorified through the extending of his influence and presence through the influence and presence of his people. And so it goes. God's story has always been the biggest story. And that story has always been the story of his glory. So where does Lake fit into this story Especially as we think about how his glory is about expanding the kingdom that he might receive the glory he is due. Since its earliest days, Lake has sought to be this kind of reconciling, gospel-driven, justice-oriented mission. This place that we have undertaken to give God glory by being his church. You know, since 1903, we have commissioned over 300 congregational members as mission workers. We've worked closely with those nationally and locally committed to seeing gospel-centered churches and kingdom community ministries begun, nurtured and reproduced. In fact, do you know this just in this last year, we joined with six other local LA area churches, who are a subset of a much larger group of churches, to plant a new cuz we who are committed to planting new churches in Los Angeles City, to plant a new church called Radius in North Hollywood. That church was planted by a former Lake Avenue worship leader, Joseph Barkley. This idea of God's glory began to reshape this whole idea of mission in in the early 1990s. One man instrumental in that was Pastor John Piper. Listen and see if you can hear how God's glory is rooted in this call to mission. He wrote these words, Mission is not the ultimate goal of the church, worship is. Mission exists because full global worship does not. Mish, mis, excuse me, Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. He continues, When passion for God is weak, zeal for his mission will be weak. Churches that are not centered on the exaltation of the majesty and beauty of God will scarcely kindle a fervent desire to, as our pastor called us to Psalm 96.3, declare his glory among the nations. Friends, how's the state of your passion for God's glory? Do you know that as a church, we are committed to extending God's glory to the nations. Lake intentionally refocused our missions efforts in the 80s toward that third of the world that has the least access to the gospel. Fully two-thirds of our current commission workers work among peoples who do not yet have a growing movement to Jesus among them. In other words, we place priority that God's glory might be revealed where it is least known and least recognized. God is glorified through the extending of his influence and presence through the influence and presence of his people. So now we've reached the meddling portion of the conclusion of the service because I'm a pastor and I have a license to meddle. So, how are you doing at glorifying God through your influence and presence? Where are you... Glorifying God through your influence and presence. This is not a small question. Eternity truly rides on it. Are you loosing or are you squelching God's glory? Are you actively praying for the evangelism and mission ministries of this, your church? Did did you hear the invitation a couple weeks ago from Pastor Jeff Leo that we have an alpha course beginning at the end of this month? Did you think that maybe you should be inviting someone to that? Alpha, which makes God's name known and glorifies his name. Or are we leaving that to someone else? Do you see volunteering maybe at our community meal on Sunday evenings as a Matthew 25-like gateway to practicing this reconciling, justice-bearing gospel? Or is it just another good deed and you're glad you're a part of a church who does good deeds? Are you praying whether God would have you go on a short-term mission assignment in 2016 or 17? Or maybe begin discovering whether God has created you for long-term mission work. Are you committed to regularly giving to the mission of the church and other special opportunities to advance the gospel? Are you looking at our world today and this unprecedented outflow of Muslim peoples in the Middle East as refugees as a critical moment to see God's glory increase? Or is this just another complicated, tragic moment in history? Friends, every day and every moment, we have the opportunity to see God's name made more famous all around us. Every day, we have the opportunity to choose and make no mistake, it is a choice. To see God glorified in ways that will draw others to him. In ways that our personal and corporate worship might even change us. And in ways that will draw whole unreached groups of people into relationship with the God who sent his son to be the ultimate blessing. To be the ultimate model of a blessor so that we... Might be reconciled to God, and in so doing, bring Him glory individually and as His church community. Now, that is a bigger story. Friends, I'm asking each of you individually today are you in? Are you in for this bigger story? And church as a community. As a God-glorifying community, are we in? Will we choose a little story or play an active part of this something bigger story? Every day, every week, every month, every decade, it is our choice. Are we in or are we not? As for me in my house, and I believe for our church household, we will choose To be part of the something bigger story for His glory. Join me in prayer. Father, as your people, we are mindful of the fact that even this week that we've entered into is a week of profound cost. For God, your glory does not come cheaply. Your passion is not careless. Your focus is not ragged. For God, you will have your glory be seen and known by the world, by the peoples of the world. Lord, you will get the praise you are worthy of. Father, would you use this, your church? Would you use this, your people? To bring you glory this week, Father, in our homes and our, with our families, in our workplace, in our clubs, in our communities, in our little league teams, in our schools, in our apartment buildings, God, would you help us find ways that would point people to you, so that you would get the glory you are so worthy of? Lord, we want to be your glorifying, God glorifying church as part of the capital C God glorifying church throughout this world. So, Father we ask you to continue to do this work, renewing and refreshing, that we might be your people so that you would get the glory that you deserve. Father, we thank you for how you've spoken to us today in worship. We pray by your Holy Spirit's authority and power that you would continue that good work until the day of completion. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.